Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Hello and welcome to the Wild Ginger Running Show. My name is Tim and I'm standing in for Claire today to do a question and answer. So this is the first time I've done a standalone video with Claire doing a a live webinar like this so hopefully this is all going to go smoothly. I've got a series of questions that have come in already on the chat uh, forums on the Facebook page but if there's anything else that comes in live on YouTube that should be popping up on my screen. Those of you who've been following Claire for a while you may have seen some of the videos I've done with her in the past um, particularly on preparing for your first ultra so I've done a few videos there so look back on the channel for that. Um, and there's some more videos that are coming out that are out with the editor at the moment uh, doing some product reviews. So again, keep an eye out for some of those. On with our question and answer session for our patrons. Again, if there's anything else that wants to come in in the, the YouTube chat, then please do pop that in the chat box. So coming up, there's a lot of chatter at the moment about some of the ultra marathons coming up in the summer. And particularly things like a race to the stones, the uh, threshold trail series events. Uh, this sort of series of questions came through from Adrian, so I'm going to tackle this one first of all. And uh, there was a couple of other follow-on follow questions as well, and then we'll move on to some other sort of physio and coaching type questions in a bit. So we kind of start off with Adrian's first question here, which was that he's been told that race to the stones is probably one of the best organized ultras out there and do I agree and why? Well obviously the Threshold Trail Series events have been uh, awarded sort of best first ultra uh, winners for a number of series, number of years really and yeah for your beginner sort of first transition into the ultra marathon world they are brilliant events they are very well organized everything is laid on for you uh, yes, it's uh, it's a long way. It's 50 kilometres or 100 kilometres uh, as most of their races. There's some other ones which are sort of double marathon type events. Uh, but the aid stations are really regular. You're looking at, you know, every 10 kilometres or so you're getting an aid station. And it's an incredibly well stocked and well supported aid stations. The crew that they put on is absolutely brilliant. There's a lot of razzmatazz about the whole event. So the, the start areas, the finish areas, there's a lot of there's a lot of banners, a lot of music, a lot of entertainment. Uh, so yeah, I would say they are very, very well organised events. But of course, you pay for that. So they are more expensive than a lot of other some more grassroots ultra marathons. So it really depends on what kind of experience you're looking for. Are you looking for a fairly low-key, grassroots type event? And there's lots of other really, really good races out there. Or do you want a bit more of that razzmatazz, a bit more of that corporate type event? Uh, if you're used to more of the big city marathons, then that's going to feel a bit more like what you're used to. <clears throat> if you're used to more low-key, uh, sort of local 10Ks, things like that, uh, then it may feel like it's a bit overwhelming. really depends on, do you want big crowds around you? 
Uh, and I think, you know, even within the sort of COVID situation now, there's still going to be a lot of people out on the course. So you are going to be seeing people. Or do you want to be out there in the wilderness getting some um, solitude? That would be a different event you're looking for. So that's kind of what I would answer in that sense. Uh, do we know what kind of food is available at those aid stations? Uh, obviously, we want to try and plan our nutrition in advance. Absolutely, you, you want to get that nutrition plan tried and tested in training. So aid stations, you'll need to check what they've got. It, it has very, I've done that race, I've done Race of the Stones twice, and the aid stations have had different foods available on both occasions. You're going to get the usual... Uh, fruits, dried nuts, uh, dried nuts, nuts, dried fruit, uh, fresh fruit. You're going to get gels. You're going to get drink. You're going to get sandwiches, things like that. They've often got deals with companies regarding different uh, bars, kind of energy bars, things like that. Uh, I think the first year I did it, they had the bounce energy balls. Um, I think this year it might be perkier. You'll have to double check on that one. But yes, you can certainly look into what they have at the aid stations in advance. But again, it depends on whether you want to carry your own. So when I did it last time, uh, I did it all on just using Tailwind. So I was carrying my Tailwind stick packs and I just filled up with water at the aid stations. So I didn't take advantage of all the lovely food that they had available. But that's because I was pushing the pace and, and going for a fast time. Um, do you get a drop bag at the aid stations in terms of change of shoes, clothes, replacement, nutrition, etc.? If you're doing the two-day event where you're doing 50k and then stopping and camping, then yes, you're going to get your, um, your dry bag there that you can then pick up at the halfway stage and change your kit. If you're going all the way through doing it in a, a one-go, then you're going to need to carry your equipment with you. But in terms of how much you need to carry, it's not as much as you think. Which somewhat goes on to the next point here regarding do you need poles? Uh, and yes, I did comment on a, a Facebook thread there regarding whether you need poles or not. The first year that I raced it, I did use poles. Uh, the second year, I did not, and I went significantly faster. And that wasn't just because of the poles. I would say that when you look at the course, people think that Race of the Stones is, is hilly. And it's not really. Yes, there are some short, sharp hills. And... Poles are useful on some of those hills, but they're so short and sharp. But by the time you got them out of your pack and got them out and started walking with them, you could be at the top of the hill. So unless you are always practicing Nordic walking and you're going to look to use Nordic walking style for pretty much the whole race, then I would say poles are not really going to be useful for you in this event. So course wise, somewhat touched on that it's a it's a rolling hilly terrain the biggest hills are in that last kind of 10 kilometers so make sure you save your legs for when you get to Barbary Castle and the section that goes from uh, just beyond Barbary Castle on towards uh, Avery Stone Circle that's the, the roughest part of the course the some of the harder hills to get up when your legs are particularly tired as well the first part of the course is very nice runnable a lot of it's quite single track the one thing i'll say about that course is after the start you do then go into quite a narrow single track so you are going to bunch up and if you're one of the, one of the people that's going to be setting off at the, an early wave of trying to run a fast time it's really tricky because everyone's going to rush to really push ahead in that first section but if you work too hard in that first few kilometers 
that could blow your entire race. You've got to pace yourself. Um, I remember when I raced it a couple of years ago, I knew in my head I was going for the time which was probably going to break the course record. I didn't break the course record, but that's what I was targeting. And yet there were people flying past me in those first sort of five, ten kilometres. And you know they're just going to come back to you. Pace yourselves. So, yes, it's nice, easy, fast, runnable terrain at the beginning. Slow down, though. Save your legs for the latter part because it won't be so runnable towards the end. Um, a lot of people will run it. You're saying about is it dry, stony terrain? A lot of people run it in road shoes. You don't necessarily need trail shoes if it's been dry. And it is usually quite dry. It's high up. It's chalk. The water drains off quite easily. The only time you'd really need good trail shoes is if there's been a long sustained period of heavy rain. Um, 100 kilometres, are you going to run through the night? That all depends obviously on how fast you're going to run. If you're definitely expecting to run through the night, then it's it's going to be uh, obviously that latter part of the, the race. Uh, it's a, an early morning start. I believe they're doing wave starts or setting people off in, in small groups rather than big waves. That's the plan for this year. So you are going to be setting off in the morning. So that may well mean that you are then running the latter phase during the night. But navigation wise, you can't get lost. It really is easy. It's a massive motorway of a path that's just running along the hilltops. There are signposts that the threshold team put up literally every you know, 100 metres, you know, if not every sort of 50 metres or so. So you can always see the next little sign that goes, you know, that's where I'm going. And then there's the, the normal um, national path, the Ridgeway signposts that are again telling you which way to go. So honestly, you cannot get lost. So navigation, again, is a, maybe a beginner's event. It's a great one to do because navigation is so simple. Um, and then, yeah, what's the sort of popularity of the race? Oh, I can zoom in and out. That told you this is my first time doing this and using the system. Uh, how popular is it? Yes, it is obviously um, a very popular race. Normally, there are huge packs that are going off together and obviously then running a lot of it together. This year, obviously, it's going to be different. So difficult to tell exactly how it's going to get broken down and how you're going to try and separate people out. Regarding sort of making friends, you're still going to get talking to people. It's, you know, an ultra marathon race. We do chat to each other. We're a friendly group. We're not smashing ourselves on the holes. You can always run at a pace where you can chat or, or walk up hills and chat to people. But it is a, a good, enjoyable race. I would certainly, certainly recommend it. Um, and I'm off to do Race to the Castle, um, so their Northumberland version this year so if anybody's doing that one I'll see you up there. Um, this one follows on about the, the race to the stones questions regarding the food and nutrition and about whether you're sort of carrying real food or need to carry real food. I say from the last two times that I've done it there's always been real food available whether it's bananas whether it's melons whether it's oranges um, so there's, there's going to be fresh fruit there. They've always got things like nuts. Um, again, with COVID rules, they may well be sort of separated out, not the kind of big grab, a handful of stuff as you're running past. Uh, a lot of other races are getting things packaged up into little pots so you can pick up your own pot. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they're going to manage that one. But the best thing to do is obviously chat with the, the threshold team and just check on how they're going to uh, run their nutrition. But obviously, if you have got your own special needs and you're wanting to just use your own products that you know work for you, then yes, you may want to carry it. And as I mentioned, 
I when I raced it last time I did it primarily just on tailwind so I was carrying sachets in my pack and literally just filling up my bottle before an aid station with fresh powder going in water in the bottle and then straight back out of there um, and I just literally picked up a few bits of melon and a, a bit of orange just for something a bit different uh, but I was obviously pushing the pace which is maybe not what everyone else is doing again the question about using poles um, whether you want to lean on them a bit when your, your legs are getting a little bit tired if it's something you're practicing a lot and you're used to doing that more Nordic walking style then it may well work for you but if it's not something you practice in terms of Nordic walking then actually they may well increase your uh, effort for um, actually getting across the ground so your running economy or walking economy may actually go down if you're not well practiced because you're using more muscles you're using your shoulder muscles a lot more as well so it really depends on if you're well practiced with it they can make you more efficient if you're not as well practiced with them then they can actually make you less efficient and burn more energy so it really depends if you're going to go for it train with them one of the athletes i coach who's training for the spine race he's out there every single day hiking just a short hike but with his poles so that it's just absolutely drilled in that's how he moves with his poles his running sessions may be with or without poles but he always goes out every day for a morning walk with his poles so if that's something you're thinking about doing it'd be worth maybe practicing that in training okay so moving on um we had a question here from Andrew on the Patreon chat about dealing with tightness in the piriformis. So this is putting my uh, physio hat back on now rather than the, the coaching hat. Um, and thinking, is this affecting the, the hip and is it affecting sort of um, hip flexors? So there's a little bit of a tricky one. Does piriformis syndrome, as it gets called, even exist? Uh, and that is debatable. So it may well be you're getting some tightness in some deep hip muscles uh, some of the smaller ro rotation type muscles of which piriformis is one of them um, but often if you're creating tightness around here it's for a reason and it's probably that you're looking to create some stability in your hips somewhere somehow so the main thing I'll be working on here is not necessarily doing loads and loads of stretching but trying to work on more strength and conditioning building up the strength of the bigger main hip muscles so your glutes your glute med your glute max tfl these muscles which are going to help stabilize your hips so that you don't necessarily then need to tighten up those smaller hip muscles those deeper hip muscles and again if you're noticing that you've got tight hip flexors it's a question of are they actually tight or are they weak and therefore again if you've tried stretching and that hasn't made any difference then probably the better thing to do would be working on more strengthening and that now feeds into I think some of our next questions that were coming through so yeah Kat here was asking about strength training and what we need to do as distance runners and endurance runners and how do we kind of fit this into the whole overall package and Kat's saying here that often struggles to walk for three days, never mind even run, if having done a strength class or a strength training session. And I think the important message to get across here is, yes, we are endurance athletes, so endurance runners. The strength training we need to do is very specific to the needs of being an endurance athlete, 
you're not trying to be a bodybuilder. You're not trying to bulk up and put muscle on. So the type of lifting we need to do is different. You're looking to stress your body in a way that you don't generally do in running. In other words, lifting big, heavy stuff. Um, so barbells, dumbbells, getting on the leg press machine. And if you're particularly a, a novice uh, strength athlete, then again, you don't need to do a vast amount. It could be going in there and just doing one single set, pushing it as heavy as you can for as many reps as you can, aiming for maybe kind of eight to 12 reps before you think, Blumenek, that's enough, thank you. And you move on to the next exercise and then the next exercise. And you might literally just do five or six exercises and then that's it, that's you done. So you've done a bit of a warm up, you've done maybe some mobility work, you do a couple of sets of uh, different exercises and then you're done. So you could be in and out of that gym in 30 minutes, no more than 40 minutes. If your gym session is taking you more than an hour, you're probably just doing stuff that isn't really relevant to what you need to achieve as an endurance athlete. So really the, the, the key areas you want to be hitting are going to be the calves. If you're only going to do one thing, I'll be working on your calves, working on your soleus, your deep calf muscles. So that's going to be calf raises with a slightly bent knee and lifting heavy. So literally the heaviest weight you can push. It's not about doing high reps. You can do high reps running up a hill. You want to be lifting heavy so that your body can take the forces involved with running. If we think about the, the loads that go through your calf muscles, through your Achilles, when we're just standing on one leg, standing there, that's one times your body weight. Running is going to be three, maybe even five times your body weight and beyond. So you need to be able to do a calf raise on the leg press machine or on a squat rack at you know, two, maybe even three times whatever your body weight is. That's how much force you should be able to take. And if you can't do that, we need to be doing more strength training. You don't need to be doing a lot of reps. It could be doing some heavy isometric training for your, your tendons. So long, maybe 45 second holds and doing three, four, five times 45 seconds and then boom, you're done. You move out of it. And that's your, your calves done. You might do the same thing for your knees. So if you're doing a lot of mountain running, a lot of hill running, and there's a lot of loading on running down those hills, that impact force, the eccentric loading on those knees, again, you may want to do some isometric, some single leg squat and holds, or maybe start with double leg squat and holds, or the leg press machine. And again, you just do 45 second holds, hold that for four, five, six times round, and then that's it, you're done. So it doesn't need to be lots and lots of repetitions trying to build big muscles. That's not what we're looking for. We want strength, but not trying to go for muscle bulking and hypertrophy. And yes, if you're then finding that you're too sore for days afterwards, then you've done a little bit too much. And it's this balance of the strength and endurance training. If we're looking to maximize strength gains, then yes, you are going to be sore and you can't then do the endurance. But we're an endurance athlete. We want this endurance work to keep going. So you've got to make sure that you're doing enough strength work that you're going to improve your, your tissues, your tendons, your ligaments, but not that you then compromise your endurance training. So it may be that those first few weeks you go into the gym, you need to take it a little bit steady, let your body adapt, and then you can progress on from there. Um, and yes, you don't want to be doing your weights on necessarily your rest day. You may even want to kind of build that into one of your harder interval days so that you do have within your training week, your training pattern, a kind of hard day where you're doing strength and maybe intervals. And then you've got a very easy day where it is more your base endurance work, 
along with maybe some uh, active recovery, mobility work, maybe a little bit of yoga, Pilates, things like that. That can be a bit of an easier strength day, but then you have a harder strength day that's then married along with your interval run sessions. So that would be the way I would structure your training plan for most people. But of course, it depends on your availability to equipment, when you can actually get to a gym. So if you, you know, you may need to look at how you structure your entire weekly pattern to, to balance that out. So, yeah, if you've got a gym at home, that's great. Um, but obviously a lot of us don't, and that's where you then might need to adapt, improvise and, and overcome. OK, so moving on to another question. We've again featuring on the, the strength side of things. Uh, Arlene's saying about strengthening the ankles and feet regarding old ankle inversion injuries, so sprained ankles, uh, in this case even resulting in a fracture of the, the little toe, the, the fifth metatarsal of the foot. Uh, and then along with that, some of the muscles which help stabilise the ankle here, so posterior, um, so tibial, so is that uh, tibialis posterior or maybe more perineal that you've had along with that. So things to improve ankle strength here. Uh, it's going to be a lot of the basics, standing on one leg, single leg balance. So I advise all my athletes to brush their teeth, stood on one leg, make a cup of tea, stood on one leg. So you're always working on that balance, on that proprioception. And it just becomes part of your normal everyday routine. You don't have to think, oh, I've got to go and do my ankle exercises, because you just do it two, three times a day anyway as part of your normal life. You can then make it a bit harder, you can stand on wobble cushions, you can stand on uh, balance cushions. If you haven't got things like that, even just a pillow or a cushion folded over, just make that ankle work a little bit harder. Um, I'm stood at my um, standing desk here, uh, and I've even got, well, go on, I'll jump off camera. I'll even stand on little wedges, where's my camera? So I'll stand with my ankle over on one side, or stand with my ankle over on another side, just to again, get my feet used to actually then stabilizing in different positions. So I'll be standing at my working desk here and standing on one leg, working my ankles in different ways. There's other bits of kit out there. Um, there's another one, I'll just sorry, step off camera. Sorry I was new at this, bad, bad planning and preparation. This is a funky bit of kit. It's basically a, a, a wobble cushion, wobble board, wobble board, not cushion, called the blackboard, and it's separated out. So you can have one section that has a couple of beams on it so that back section will stay nice and stable and the middle one will then rock around so you can have your heel staying nice and still and then you can work the front of the foot or you can swap it around and you can have the front staying still and you can work the heel so that's a, another way that i stand at my desk and i'm working my ankle in different ways because yes i've broken my ankle in the past and it is unstable i've got very little ligaments left so i do need to be quite careful Regarding um, strengthening some of the other muscles around there, we can be using resistance bands, so TheraBand, things like that. And again, working on active um, strengthening for those muscles around the foot and the ankle. Um, other bits of kit that I use are electrical muscle stimulators. So I use some kit called Compex. And again, that can be used to really strengthen those muscles, get really strong, fast contractions into those muscles. So that's another way that you can, again, rehabilitate the ankles and those muscles there. Regarding the, the kind of concern of the sort of the fear of fast running downhill or that technical rocky terrain, it's practice. You've got to just practice it over and over again. Starting slowly, 
one thing I get people to do is find a technical section of trail, maybe it's only a few meters long, and you walk down it and you look exactly right, where do I want my feet to go? And you just walk it, and you just place your foot there, place your foot there, come back up to the start, do it again, and then go a little bit quicker, and then try and look up, or even close your eyes and try and run and remember exactly where your feet went, stop, come back up to the top, did your feet go where they meant to go? And then you run it again, but lifting that head up. One of the reasons we run slowly when we're on technical ground and we're worried about it is our heads are down. We're just looking at our feet. We can't see where we're going. and We're just reacting all the time rather than planning ahead. What you've got to learn to do is look up, look far down the trail and plan your route. But you know exactly where your feet are going because you look to the ground, you've memorised it. You know, right, I'm going to put my foot there. I need to put my foot on that rock. I need to go there. And your feet will then just go there. But it comes with practice. The other thing is have really quick cadence. So just get used to picking your feet up really, really quickly. Lots of little steps. If you're taking big steps when you're trying to run downhill, then the chances are you're going to overstride, you're going to slip, or you're going to land on something hard and heavy and roll your ankle. If you're taking lots of little steps, you could miss a step and still save yourself. You could a little roll and you could just save yourself because you're already picking your foot up almost before it hits the ground. So those are some of the things that I'd maybe work on there and perhaps we could have a, another uh, wild ginger running chat about technical running and running on uh, uneven ground and descending. Okay, got another question here that Claire put in about um, using foam rollers and vibrating foam rollers and, and massage guns. Uh, where's mine down here? So yeah, again, uh, I'm supported by Compex. So I've got a lot of their kit, and that's the, the Compex Massage Gun. That's the, the old one, uh, the version one. Uh, and I've got their uh, I've got vibrating foam rollers and, and all these kind of things. Are they good? Yes. Do they feel nice? Yes. Are they magical? No. Do you need them? You don't need them. No. Um, do they make your, your leg muscles feel nice? Do they help with that sort of sensation of recovery? Yes. If you're feeling a bit battered and a bit tight and a bit sore before going out for a training session, I'll use the massage gun and the legs feel great and I run well. Have they done anything to me physically? Probably not. But if they make me feel good, I'm going to run good. So a lot of it is psychological. Um, regarding the sort of the vibration, it can just trick that nervous system. So you actually just feel less pain. So in terms of the foam rollers, I've certainly found with patients who, you know, we do need to work on just general tissue mobility and foam rolling is going to be one way to achieve that. And yet foam rollers are too painful. They just can't use a foam roller. We've used a vibrating one and just the vibrations just trick that nervous system. and It doesn't hurt as much. So if it doesn't hurt. They do it. And if they do it and then start moving and getting that mobility back into the body, then we get our end result of a body that moves better. So they have their place. Are they magical? No. Do I like them? Yes. Do I use them? Yes. Do I recommend them to people? Yes. But they're not essential. Um, that would be my sort of very brief summary. Um, I've got another question coming in here. Is this related to... Yeah. So if I click on this, does that then... Oh, here we go. Uh, so I should really get rid of that one from Claire. Right, let's just resize this one. That's going straight across my face. If 
apologies for the general chat over it. I told you this is the first time I'm doing this type of live chat for Claire. So John is asking the question here about rehabilitating tendons, uh, avoiding pain, but also want to avoid rest. Uh, so how should it kind of feel? What kind of frequency of the, the challenge should we be pushing those tendons in order to get the improvements we want, but not actually for the further damage or, or injure the tendon? Okay. So yes, tendons, you know, if you've got a problem with your tendon, it's going to need strengthening. So rest is not the answer. It may be that you've got a really acute injury, like literally you've just bashed it or you've just strained it on a run um, and you've overstretched it and your body's really not very happy with you. You've got maybe some acute inflammation going on. And again, depending on how much you've read, you'll have heard that tendons don't have any inflammatory components to, to a tendinopathy or tendinosis. True. But we can have some short-term inflammation, some itis. So it may be that you need to have a, a few days, maybe 72 hours worth of rest, but then we need to load it. Then we need to get in there and push it. How much? A good ballpark guide would be keep any pain you're feeling to less than maybe four out of 10 on a pain scale. So if you're, if you're doing your exercises and your tendon is really hurting, it's six, seven, eight out of 10, you're doing a bit too much. You really need to back it down a little. We still need to work, we still need to load it, but maybe not as much as that. If you're doing your exercises and thinking, oh, this is easy, I'm, you know, this is not a problem at all, you're gonna make it harder, yeah? We gotta get more weight on there. So it's gonna be you know, getting your rucksack out, filling it with books, filling it with bottles of water, and loading up those tendons. Or getting a small child on your back or a large child on your back and loading up those tendons. Or if you can get to the gym, then it's a leg press machine or the squat rack or dumbbells, things like that. Um, in terms of the, the frequency to load it, tendons like a little bit of load frequently. So there's some really good research coming out um, that is showing that really we can be loading every six to eight hours. Um, so look at maybe some of the research by Keith Bars down in Australia, I think his research team is based. And they've certainly shown that we can be hitting that tendon, not literally hitting it, uh, as in loading it, every six to eight hours. So you could be doing that at least twice a day, if not maybe even three times a day. Now, if you are still running alongside this, then that running session may well count as one of your loading sessions for the day. So it might be you do your tendon loading in the morning and you do a run in the evening, or you do your run in the morning and then you do a tendon loading session in the evening. Uh, and that tendon, loaded, tendon loading session doesn't need to be a lot. It could be literally just sort of five, six, maybe as many as 10 minutes. It doesn't need to be any more than that. If you're doing exercises which are lasting for more than 10 minutes, you're not getting any further bang for your buck when it comes to that tendon. So you kind of hit your peak uh, stimulus, that peak uh, response to the, the, in the cells at around about 10 minutes, and then that, that's it. It's not going to respond any further than that, so there's no need to do further exercises beyond that. Um, so if you were to do exercises more frequently than that, again, you're not getting any further bang for your buck, so we don't need to do it more frequently. Uh, if you're doing it less frequently, then maybe you just don't quite get as fast a response. You know, we need to be hitting it certainly at least you know once a day, uh, maybe maybe uh, every other day. But you're going to have slow progress there. If you don't do it more more than every sort of three days, then your body's really not going to respond to the load at all. 
Okay, hopefully that answers that one. Um, go back to there. Where did we get to? So, no, that was the last one there. Yeah, foam rollers done that one. Uh, slightly off topic in terms of uh, physical. Well, I suppose this comes under the coaching one, doesn't it, Vicky? So, question here about uh, juggling life. So, juggling family, juggling job, along with our training, and it's really about, um, yeah, time management, isn't it? It's about planning and preparation. It's having your training calendar. It's looking at what hours have you actually got available in your day to train? So don't come up with a training plan, this perfect training plan, that if you were an elite athlete and you had all the time in the world to train, these are all the training sessions that you could do. Because then you've got to try and then get work in there, you've got to get family in there, um, you know, social life, when we have a social life. You've got to look at it the other way around. How many hours a week do you need to work? Then you've got to think about your family and your social life. And then you've got to look to see what hours are left over for training. That's the way we've got to juggle it. You know, we've got three balls in our life. We've got family, we've got work, and we've got training. You can't keep all three balls up in the air at one time because they're all going to come down and you can only catch two of them and you're not allowed to drop your family. If you get the sack at work, that's your choice. If you want to then catch the training ball and, and drop work on the floor and get the sack, that's your call. You don't drop the family. So... It's about looking at your, your weekly pattern and where can, you, where can you find those hours for training and then you decide on what training sessions are going to go into those gaps. Not, these are the training sessions I want to do, how am I going to squeeze that into life? Um, and then it's just about good time management in terms of, you know, if you've got young kids, get a running buggy. Um, you know, I spent several years with other kids when they were younger, doing my long runs on the canal, with a running buggy and that was just week in week out doing those you know 10 milers pushing the running buggy he got it done he got my run done a little bit of time with the kids kind of most of the time they fell asleep in the running buggy uh, but he gave my wife maybe a bit of time out while i took you know at least one of the kids out so you know it's things like that can you commute to work so can you build it into your commute so it just instead of that being dead time it becomes training time even just little mini sessions a 20 minute run still counts so squeezing in a 20-minute run at lunchtime, but you're doing that every single day of the week, that soon adds up to a lot of miles at the end of the month. So don't just think, oh, if I haven't got an hour, it's not worth going out there. Even just little bits will add up. So look at maybe multiple training sessions a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at lunchtime, and then uh, maybe half an hour in the evening, because you haven't got an hour, an hour and a half for a long run in the day, but you can squeeze in little bits. You might end up with more washing to do, but it gets your training done. So that would be my sort of general advice for juggling life. Um, okay, so I think that was all the questions that came through on the Facebook page. Uh, let's just see if there's anything else coming through on the YouTube chat. Uh, can't see anything else there. So that kind of covers the little bit of an introduction and some of the questions coming through. The plan going forward from here is that I'm going to be doing maybe a, a monthly question and answer session for Claire. So do have a think about are there any particular themes. Uh, I'll have a chat with the patrons in the private Facebook uh, page there 
about maybe some topics that you want me to go into in a little bit more detail. So do have a think about that. I say my background is I'm a physiotherapist and an endurance coach. So we can look at either one of those two. And then Vicky, who was on that last comment there, I know she's going to be doing some other regular webinars for Claire, doing more kind of interviews. So again, look out for the stuff from Vicky Mosley. Okay, if there's no other further questions from the patrons, I think I've just gone over the, the 30 minutes. I was aiming for about 30 minutes this evening. So I will see you all soon. I think I'll be back in next month for another Q&A. And Vicky's got the videos for some other videos that are coming out. They're just out with their uh, editor at the moment. So hopefully they should be coming up on the YouTube channel soon. And that's reviewing some of the nutrition products, the Supernatural Fuel and the MIMO gate analysis uh, device. Okay, that's enough for me chatting tonight. I will look forward to seeing you all again soon. Take care. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information that I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.